You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Thompson. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is the city's largest and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting the work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space, including Ingen Jorgensen, Brenda Sirioni, Daniel Corey, Jill Hoy, and Dave Allen. For complete show details, please visit our website at artcollectormain.com. Love, Maine Radio is also brought to you by Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where every body is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at aristel.com. Sal Scaglione and Dana Haycock are the owners of Abacus Gallery, which was started in 1971 as a small shop and now has grown to five locations around Maine. I love your store, and thank you for coming in today. Well, thanks. Thank you for having us. So on a technicality, I guess, you, you did not, you were not born in Maine. Your store was not born in Maine, I should say. Only on a technicality. <laughs> and this was in your, your mother's garage? <laughs> well, not quite. We practically lived there. We rented a little store space in town in Bennington, Vermont. It was eight feet wide. It had been a taxi dispatch stand. And how did that happen? What was what was it about? Why did you decide you wanted to start that initial store back in 1971? Well, let's see. I think it was because we were at RISD, Rhode Island School of Design, and uh, we had this um, sort of vision of buying and selling things had that uh, always had that um, sort of longing to do something like that not knowing much about how to go about doing it um, the the space that we rented in Bennington just sort of came up I drove by and thought well wouldn't this be great and of course we had practically less than no money um, and so we cobbled together the interior by taking out a staircase. Our landlady at that time gave us uh, permission to take down her chicken coop and we used the boards to, <laughs> to cover the walls and uh, followed trucks to the dump that were disposing of two by fours and all sorts of used, used things and we dragged them back to the little space and made shelving and counter um, and actually got things from uh, uh, our classmates at RISD to sell on consignment back then. We, we put up posters yeah. on canvas advertising that students could give us their work after it was graded and we'd pay them after we sold it, if we sold it. But we were, we were truly just kids. I was only six months done with being a teenager when the store opened. What did you focus on when you were at RISD? So I was in the architecture department, and I changed my focus about every semester. <laughs> <laughs> so yours was broadly based? Yes, it was. Yeah. And what did you end up doing with your architecture background, Sal? Um, 
I never graduated as an architect, but that desire was sort of a closet architect. Uh, and what we're doing now, we've designed and built several of our own houses and and the and the stores that we're in. Um, so we're using it in that in that sense. So I'm getting to I'm getting to actually do what I thought I was going to do in a sort of an, in a in a different way, but very rewarding. Where are you originally from? A suburb of Cleveland. Yeah. And you're originally Dana. You're originally from Vermont. No. Oh, okay. So you. No, Vermont was just a tiny little piece of my life. I was born about three miles from here, in Portland. At Mercy or Maine Med? In Maine Med, which all those years ago was called Portland General Hospital. And how did you somehow, I know how you ended up down in Rhode Island, but how did you end up in Bennington? My family had moved there from Farmington, Maine, um, back in the 1970s. And it was all brand new to me, and I loved to go back from school and visit, just because there was an excitement of a new place. I didn't know Vermont very well at the time. How did each of you get interested in art and architecture? For me, I think that's always been there. When, when I was probably 13, 14 years old, I used to do charcoal drawings of area lighthouses and sell them. Uh, my mom was always um, a big influence on me. She was always painting and exhibiting her paintings in local outdoor artist shows. And I had probably a more <laughs> um, unusual beginning. I used to lie on my stomach in the living room and pretend I was designing things with undersides of furniture and putting <laughs> things together and building things mentally and physically with little parts and and thinking, oh, there must be something wrong with me. I <laughs> and uh, until I went to RISD. Um, where I found all the people who thought like I did. Uh, I thought, okay, well, this is validation. And uh, that was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. And of course, that's where we, we met, Dan and I met. When did you first, when did you first meet? It was 1969. We were both in the same yeah. small dormitory building on the RISD campus. So I'm sure we met within days of school beginning. Yeah. So that's a fairly significant um, chunk of time that you've now been together. Yes. <laughs> that's being kind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you met before I was born, and I'm somewhat oldish, or uh, at the very least middle-aged. Yes. yes. So somehow you've been able to not only uh, create a business but grow a business and maintain a good relationship with one another I'm assuming because you're still here yes <laughs> how were you able to do that well it's it's challenging at times <laughs> that's for sure it's there's not a lot of separate time because we work together and live together but all in all, it's a good thing. <laughs> so we're still here. In fact, this this is how I got to Maine. The first time I came to Maine was uh, 
uh, an overnight trip, a, a, a classmate of ours uh, allowed us to use her boyfriend's Volkswagen Bug to drive up to Maine. Dana said, you need to see Maine. So it was February, of course, the best time to come to Maine for your first time. And we drove up in the Volkswagen Bug and uh, Dana thought we could stay at his grandparents' cabin because he thought he knew where the key was, but it was boarded up and not happening. <laughs> we stayed in the Volkswagen Bug in February. Uh, it's not the easiest thing to do. Of course, they had no heat in them. You had to drive them around. So that's what we did. That was my first trip to Maine. And as we left uh, Booth Bay Harbor, uh, I said, well, I really did love it. And I'll be back again, I'm sure. And here I am. So that is how you started your first main store in Booth Bay Harbor was because you you had a family connection up in that area. It our little store in Vermont was not on a road to success. <laughs> it was very small scale like like kids with a lemonade stand. And I knew from growing up and summering at Ocean Point that Booth Bay Harbor was the one place I knew that there were lots and lots of people. And at that time, it just seemed to make a lot of sense to be located there. We had we each did uh, other jobs to support the store. When we started in Bennington, it, um, it honestly was not viable. <laughs> we did uh, all sorts of things from house cleaning to uh, we worked for a, a, a concert flautist who had a repair shop, and we did uh, we made pads for him and we sprung concert flutes. Uh, we did anything, anything to, uh, anything to survive. That's what we did. How many years did you need to keep having these dual careers? Well, because we started so small, it took, it took a number of years. I think it was in the seventh year that we had the store that we were able to move to a bigger location in Booth Bay Harbor. And at that point, everything began to change. It began to grow quickly. Having been inside Abacus, um, there's I, I've noticed there's quite a variety of different things that you offer. Very small, very beautiful things, artwork. Um, how do you curate the things that come into the store? I suppose one thing they have in common is they're just things that we think are really cool. And some of those things are 10 or 15 or $20, and some of them are much more expensive. And I want the stores to be an environment where anybody can come in and enjoy it. It doesn't, I don't want it to be up on a pedestal. It's supposed to be fun. Well, I think that that, I think you've accomplished that because I'll go into one of your stores um, in Kennebunkport or um, Booth Bay Harbor or here in Portland, and I'll notice you have some very affordable things by the cash register. You'll have some jewelry. I think I bought a bracelet when I was in a gunkwit once. And then you have some larger items that people buy, presumably for things like weddings and the birth of babies, and and it and it seems very um, it, it just makes art more accessible. It seems was that a goal? Definitely. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think we, we want 
everyone to be able to come in and enjoy, even if they don't, if they're not um, buying, to enjoy the whole experience. Um, but then if somebody chooses to buy, we like the idea of having something in a wide, wide price range so everyone can take something home. You have lovely prints and calendars that are associated with your store. How did those come to be? That is Dana's artwork. Uh, and uh, we publish a calendar that we've been publishing for decades um, and we sell it in our stores and we actually sell it around around the country also. Uh, it's the Dana Haycock calendar and that has been the springboard for um, fine art prints, uh, gicle prints on watercolor paper or on canvas uh, available in all kinds of sizes from six by sixes up to very large canvases uh, so that's been very successful and and he is he's the artist for that <laughs> how far in advance do you create your um, are they paintings that are made into the originals are paintings yes and I'm more I start working about a year ahead of when a calendar is printed but that calendar is already a year ahead because it's being sold. So now I'm working on 2019. And it seems like there's there's general there seems to be a theme um, that goes along with these calendars. Is that something that is intentional? They're supposed to evoke a feeling of the month without being overly literal about it. So if you've been doing this for decades, how do you continue to swap it up. I mean, we all think of February as being hearts and candies and flowers, <laughs> but you can't, I'm assuming, you'd want to do something different every year. So how do you figure that out? I try to collect images wherever I go. Sometimes I'll just see something and it just speaks to me as a calendar poster. And I try to save it as a digital photo image so I can work from it later in my studio. I have always loved calendars, and I love the type of calendar that you create, so I get one every year. But when you started this, we were less in a digital age, and we've evolved into this really digital age. And yet, it's I still am drawn to your calendars, and I'm guessing other people are because they're sold across the country. Does that surprise you? No. I think as the world moves more and more into a very techy place, I think people are always craving things that have a human connection. They buy, I think they buy them, they want them in their homes. They're, they're a piece of art first, and they're a calendar second. And it's not the kind of thing you know, that you've gotten from the, the insurance <laughs> company where you're gonna put the little notes for the, the appointments and write in them. So I think people want this little piece of art and, and it's great because they change the art every month um, because of what it is. So they're changing the art and they look forward to the next month. It's funny because my grandmother, who lives in Cape Porpoise, I started buying her these calendars and one year I was a little late in actually giving her a Christmas gift, which is always a calendar. And she's like, oh, I'm so relieved because every year I look forward to getting this calendar 
as um, I guess this piece of art that you're describing. Like it actually has become an important uh, ritual and an important um, thing between the two of us. So I wonder how many other people out there have that same emotional response to this. We, we get a lot of similar feedback from people. Yeah, he's being and, humble. And I, I find it especially rewarding. I've had a number of medical institutions choose my artwork to use to decorate lobbies and treatment rooms, and um, a number of them around Maine. So they're my artwork is out there in front of a lot of people because of those places. One of the things about being in the arts is that there is um, the need to support artists. I mean, you can't have art and be a working artist without somebody to actually buy your work. It, it feels to me like one of the things you're doing is making it possible for people to continue to work as artists by having their pieces in your store. Oh, I know from talking to a lot of the people we buy from that Abacus is the number one account for some of these people anywhere, which is is rewarding but also a little bit scary. <laughs> yeah, that's some pressure on you, I would Yes, just would a think. little bit of pressure. Yes. Know. But it is it really is rewarding to know that you're helping people, you know, that's part of their living and uh, makes us feel good. To know that we buy from literally hundreds of sources, um, so it's good to know that people appreciate people who are making things appreciate um, place to be able to sell to and uh, be part of their lives. How did it come to be called Abacus? <laughs> um, it's little bit of a funny story when we were trying to name our first store back in in Bennington Vermont um, of course you go through all the same things you're toying with names and and we liked the idea of the the, the texture and the visuals of an abacus um, and we joked about it because it began with an A and a B and I said we can we can always be first in the phone book. Of course, now we don't even have phone books. And what's more ironic is back then when we had our little store, we didn't even have a phone. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, if anyone had to call us, uh, there was a phone booth outside of our door, and we gave people that number, and uh, people walking by would hear the phone ring and answer it, and uh, somebody would say, now you see that little door over there? Could you go in and ask the two guys <laughs> <laughs> if they could come out to the phone. That was our first phone. So we we didn't really have a listing back then either. It seems as though, um, having talked to people who own their own businesses, there's often not much of a downtime. You're, <laughs> you don't get to go to work at 9 and leave at 5. You are that, often... That's the downside. You definitely need to love what you do. So how do you make that work? after decades of doing this? It's a question we're still asking. <laughs> you, you kind of take the little moments, or there's an hour here or two hours there. Um, you, you need to see the work not as a work. I, when, when you're working for yourself, what we do feels like this wonderful lifelong hobby. We also look at 
all of our stores. I, I enjoy working in them. Uh, I love being out there with, with the people because sometimes you get a little bit behind the scenes. You're, you're, you're taken away from what it is that you used to do at the beginning. So I love being in the store. They're like our living rooms. It's like having five living rooms. And you get to meet all these wonderful people. And some have become lifelong friends. Do each of your stores have a different um, style or a different feel to them? I mean, if you talk about them being like your living room, I've been in, I want to say at least three of them. They have a similarity, but do they feel different to you? They do. Yes. Some Sometimes I think that grows out of the building or the space that they're located in. It gives them part of the feeling that they have. So if you were describing the stores that you have in each of the various places, what 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 comes up for you? You know, for, for example, actually now I'm thinking about it, I've been in the Freeport store too. So... You have Booth Bay Harbor, Kennebunkport, Portland, Freeport, and Agunquit. Yes. I've been in all of your stores, actually. Oh, so <laughs> I have a sense of what each of them feels like. What do they feel like to each of you? Booth Bay always feels like going home because we spent so many years there. In the early days, just the two of us ran the shop. And because it's in a building that at one time was a house and has separate rooms, I think there are four four or five different rooms that comprise the store. Customers tell us this too, they, they think it just feels homey. Well, the store in Booth Bay actually, um, the first space we were in when we rented the space before we owned the building is what is now uh, the, print, the print room where we show a lot of um, Dana's work. There are a few other things in there. But that was the first store in Booth Bay Harbor. Very small, it's about 500 square feet. And we actually lived in the back of it in about 150 square feet. <laughs> um, back then, that's where we, if you can call it living in there, but um, that's where we slept. <laughs> and it was the, the, the minimal stock room and everything. And we used to, uh, take our showers down at the tugboat inn at the pay, pay showers because we didn't have those facilities in our building. So every morning we'd take our quarters and go down and that's where we went. And if the water was cold, it didn't matter because we only allotted one quarter for the day. <laughs> that was it. Wow, that's very impressive. And, <laughs> and uh, Very, very humble beginnings. I, would, I guess so. <laughs> so what was the next store after that? Portland. And when you think about that store, how would you, how does that feel to you? How would you describe it? It just feels like Portland because it's red brick, which always speaks of Portland to me. It was, it seemed very, um, uh, a very different side of what we, what we did for Booth Bay Harbor because it was in the city. Uh, so it felt much more urban, and it was another, another adventure, another challenge for us. And the next door? The next one was Freeport. I think at the time we opened the store in Freeport, we felt that two stores were just about all we could handle. 
and we'd been on a trip out to the Pacific Northwest and fell in love with some of the island communities in Puget Sound. And like often happens when we travel, we start imagining, what would it be like if we had a store out here? <laughs> and because we were already thinking about it, when we returned to Maine, we found the for sale sign on the little building. And I think we were already primed mentally. We, we both just like to build things. I think that's our primary um, impetus for doing anything. We like to build things, and that building was a sad little building with a lot of potential. So then what came next? Was it a Gunkwood or Kennebunkport? Kennebunkport. Kennebunkport. Tell me about that. That was, um, well, the original one was a little bit smaller. We're in the same space now, and uh, we had the need to expand and the restaurant next door uh, fortunately was going to be for sale in the same building so we bought the restaurant <laughs> sold off all of the equipment and uh, expanded the store into what that one is now so it's I don't know how many thousand square feet but it's uh, fairly large uh, and it's worked out very well and so a gunkwood is your baby a gunkwood is. is the new, is new, I say new, it's, um, we bought that building about 10, I think about 10 years ago, and it was, I happened to be delivering something down south of there, and I drove past through town and saw the for sale sign on it, uh, it used to be Joe Allen's Restaurant uh, from New York, and we used to eat there out on their deck and I saw the sign I pulled in the parking lot and called Dana immediately and I said guess what <laughs> and he said I I don't know this is it's going to be very expensive <laughs> um, well most I, of the space <laughs> we had looked in a gunkwit over the years a number of times and the problem is that being the little beach town that it is a lot of the retail store spaces that were for rent were just way too small to do what we wanted to do so when this building came up, it felt like this was the one chance to come in here and, and do a large store. So we repeated, we repeated uh, buying a restaurant. We bought it, the whole thing, lock, stock, and barrel. Uh, sold off all the equipment and then proceeded to completely gut and change the entire building taking out floors and actually lowering part of the floor in one of it, um, in one of the areas. And uh, just went for it, just said, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna just do this. And uh, of course, a lot of people thought it was a little sketchy being on the other side of the street. And we said, well, we'll take our chances. I think it'll work. Well, it's, it's been kind of fun being in a gunkwit because now it feels like we're the anchor store right in the center of town. We're in a town like Freeport with 300 national retailers. We feel, still feel like the two little kids playing store. <laughs> so about two years ago, we, we did something that we sort of had in the back of our minds when we bought the building, and then we added a couple thousand square feet. We added what looks like another building on this, to the end of this building. Um, and it gave us um, a 
little bit different space. It's sort of a modern, little industrial cement floor and has a mezzanine. Um, and it just, it feels, it feels good. So now the building looks like three separate little buildings that we've remodeled, redone, and uh, moved our store into it. So we're very happy with it. It's been very successful. And now it seems like the paving project down there has come to an end. So that must be a relief <laughs> for you. Yes, it is over. It is definitely over and uh, we're all happy. <laughs> Any more stores that you have in your <laughs> in your thoughts in your minds? It seems like if something comes up, then we'll never say never. But I think we have our hands full. What about you, Sal? Would you agree with that? Uh, I would have to agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate your coming in today and talking with me. I, it's interesting because as you're talking, I feel like my mom would always date things based on her children. And I told you that I have nine younger brothers and sisters. And I feel like it's almost as if you can, you're, you're talking about your five children, that you're, you're dating them according to like what stage you were in, in your life and artistically. So it's kind of an interesting conversation for me to have. It, it is. That is how we think of it. And then we have, of course, a wonderful crew everywhere. And they've... Uh, become part of the family. They're all part of the family. And uh, that's another rewarding part of having the stores, getting to know all of them. I've been speaking with Sal Scaglioni and Dana Haycock, who are the owners of Abacus Gallery, which was started in 1971 as a small shop in a different state, but soon followed by five stores here in the state of Maine. Um, I really appreciate you taking time out of your very, very busy schedules to come in and talk to me today and also appreciate the fact that you're bringing art to people like me and others throughout the state and really around the world. Thank you. Well, we're glad that you like what we do. Thank you. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by Maine Magazine, Aristel, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music are by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producers are Paul Koenig and Brittany Cost. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasik. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Rebecca Falzano, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.